Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, October 13th in the year 2022. And as always, from the West Coast, which gives me about <laughs> three more hours before we break midnight, East Coast, you are now into Friday. and We will catch up to you soon. Patriots, make sure that you are taking good care of your assets. In this time right now, the CBDC threat and the continual collapse of the economy, which is all being engineered, is very real. And your hard-earned wealth is important to preserve. That's why we have Birch Gold. The last time we went through a recession, there were stocks that literally went to zero. Washington Mutual, Lehman Brothers, Chrysler, multiple blue chip stocks went to little or no value almost overnight. Could that happen again? And if it did, are your savings protected? Why not own something that has never been valued at zero? Gold. Historically, your best hedge against inflation, which is racing out of control as we speak. The savviest Americans diversify their savings to protect them from the downturns in the market, from global instability, and from a falling dollar. Do you? Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. In fact, if you have a 401k or IRA that's underperforming, just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and you can convert that into an IRA in precious metals right now. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Hedge against inflation. Protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit by texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 today. So, Patriots, in the last hour we had a really solid interview, and it was David Summerall with StopHate.com. And it was very solid and it was also very impassioned because it dealt directly with January 6th. And so what I want to kind of dig into is some after effects of that interview tonight, which kind of frames it within our obligation in our faith, which unfortunately we're having to relearn a lot in all of us. Our, the pulpit in the modern age has pacified what should be the most righteous force ever to be on earth. And the modern day pulpit, which took that bargain with the devil, with the 501c3, and even before then, that was infiltrated deeply and likely infiltrated by the Jesuits. They understood very clearly that the Christian base was righteous and was only accountable to God. That's what set up this country. That was the foundations of the Declaration of Independence. It was where our founding fathers were teaching from and writing from and impassioned by. And it's where the people were driven by. They were defiant to normal authority. They were only obedient to God. And Jesus was powerful in our nation at that point in time. The blessings of God was, was upon this nation. So in the last hour, we had the interview talking about January 6th. And in the after discussions, there was a lot of chatter about what to do. Some people said we should start a prayer group. There was some questions on basically that what was presented by David Sumrall was not effective, that it didn't have any weight or teeth. And I got into a discussion with somebody on chat, and, and it, there's an immediate retraction when people start seeing a, 
a serious discussion. They don't want their people are afraid of conflict. And women, I'm just going to be blunt. You're the worst because you always want to try to make peace. We have to be able to have hard discussions. Our founding fathers had brutal discussions. They still loved and respected each other. But if you can't hold your line and have a hard discussion about what you're impassioned about, we just dissipate and disappear. And Christ was not one to be weak or to be faint in heart when having hard discussions. And that's part of our obligations in faith. And this is where we have to be able to start understanding that in this time, if we don't start breaking the paradigms of old, we are going to relive the hell that we are currently in. And it will happen faster and deeper. See, church, the church, the religion, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be very clear, I'm not, I don't believe in religion. I believe in our faith in Jesus. I'm a, I consider myself, by definition, a biblical Christian. I don't like the institution of religion. The institution of religion is what our founding fathers railed against. It was the institution of religion that waged war. It was the institution of religion that tortured people that said they didn't comply with the church's way. It's the institution of religion that has completely neutered generations of people in this nation that took away that fire of being a patriot. And now it's the institutions of religion that choke off the power and love of Christ and Father God. So I just need to be clear with that because, you know, people often ask me, do you need to go to church? And my general answer is no, because the church lives within my heart and my relationship is within God and my relationship through Christ, which I live every breath of every moment of my life. And then when I do have an opportunity to go worship with others in church, it's because I've been with a church that has that invigorating power, but I don't need to go to church to invigorate the power of Christ within me because the church is within us. That's as Christ intended. That is what the remaking of this church is that we're seeing right now. It's disseminating it across the ground, across the land. And we're going to be seeing the rise of the ecclesia and with this, the many home churches and the the discipleship that has to be in the land speaking God's word because that's how we grow this. This is how we reinvigorate the life, because otherwise we become the temples of the Pharisees. So in this last hour, when we had discussions and there were ideas put forward about things to do, of what to do about January 6th, this is what I'm going to tell you. Do them. Don't just talk about them. This is what happens as we, we get to this place and it's like, well, we should all do this. No, you should lead. Because God has put us each in a place right now where our, if we're listening to him and we're impassioned to do something, we have to step in and lead. The problem we've had with the, with the pulpit is it's told you and told too many how to think, how to relate to Christ, how to worship, how to pray. Christ is there, accessible. All you have to do is reach to him and he will guide you. And that doesn't diminish the teachings of the pulpit. But the pulpit should not restrict you. It should empower you. 
So in this time when we're in a place, we see this a lot like where we are as a nation. And it's a disturbing place in our nation. Because even now, people are turning to President Trump to fix things for us. Or they turn to Kanye to fix things for us. Or they get excited about Tulsi Gabbard coming over because she's somehow going to energize voters to help mobilize a vote that will fix things for us. And I I will tell you, this is like watching a bad rerun for me over and over and over. It grates on me so much. It's like watching Green Acres introductory music like a thousand times in the day. And after a while, I just want to choke. We have to be greater than that. We are walking as disciples of Jesus. That has to mean something to us. That has to be profound as we walk. That, that doesn't mean that we kowtow to some politician. Look, I don't question Trump is, has done some good things and could do a lot more good things. And I don't know what all this game of deception is, and I'm not trying to interpret it that much because I kind of see, I mean, it's a big game of deception. Because the only path of truth we have is when we're literally pursuing that love in Christ and through Christ to the Father, we're opened up into that wisdom that he provides. And in the end, if we really understand it, it's like being a foot soldier because too much happens that people want to always know what's going to happen or know the end. And that's not the way soldiers work. In fact, if you're in a unit and everybody's trying to understand what the commander's going to do, it falls apart. There has to be some obedience and trust. But there also has to be action. So when you're with a unit and you have a small squad and the squad says, there's the enemy, and someone says, wow, that'd be cool if we'd all go do it. And the rest of the squad says, yeah, can we bring everybody else with? And they look around, well, nobody else is going to go. Okay, well, let's just let the enemy be and we'll just sit and wait. You're going to die. The enemy will overrun you. They will ruthlessly destroy you. And if you're unfortunate enough to be with some of the, the enemy I've seen, they'll cut your head off and stick it on a stake. We're dealing with a force of a demonic realm that is that ruthless and more. They see every single one of us as cattle. The ability that they should be able to slaughter us, eat us, torture us, do whatever they want. It's they see that is their right. That's Khazars, Khazarian Mafia, whatever you want to call them. They're demonic. Satan is their God, and they have no tolerance for weakness, and they have no desire to give in. They will fight to the death. So as we hesitate, they laugh. So take January 6th, for example. Look, my role where God has me is right where I am. And that is to be doing my three shows a day, traveling around when I can, building up capacity in in the teaching ability of doing urban homesteads and building out another capacity for a future training space and ministering to as many people as I can, even on a one-on-one basis. That's where God has me. If God turned around and said, free January 6th, I'd figure a way. So I understand the frustration when people hear a a show and they come around saying, well, what are we going to do? And there's some frustration because the solutions that were provided there 
to some that seem to be non-consequential. David Sumrall is called to inform people about January 6th. His focus is to get people to be awake, to support them in as many different ways, spiritually and emotionally, as they can. But it's going to take someone. If someone wants to rally a million people and go storm the gates of the prison, and you're called to do that, then do it. But when you keep looking around for someone else to do what God puts on your heart, you're failing the Father. And it takes courage. Every single day I get on this mic, every single day anybody gets on the mic, whether it's Steve Bannon, whether it's myself, whether it's whoever, and you're calling out the state, you have to understand the weight of this. And I... I don't care. I mean, Father's got me here, and I'm like, I'll go. I'll do whatever's need to be said and whatever I need to do to bring truth. But in this climate, there are consequences, at least potential consequences, and I've already seen those consequences firsthand when they come knocking at your door. Most people haven't. So it's easy to throw ideas out and say, well, and then expect someone else to do it. Christ flipped tables. Christ led his disciples. Christ was a doer. Christ walked from village to village. Christ preached. Christ confronted the Pharisees in the temple. Christ healed those that needed to be healing. Christ pulled the demons out of people. You see, all of that was happening. And he did all of that. And it didn't say anywhere in that when he is laying the example for us, including the suffering and sacrifice that he promised us would happen, including all of that, for following him, he didn't say, sit and wait and have somebody else do it for you. In fact, that was the whole point of the disciples is ultimately, especially after his resurrection, to get them to move past what they had done and to move into the role that they must. He told them if they could love each other, they would literally prove that of all that he was teaching. And that love is a deep agape love. So the challenges, the reason I bring all this up is our challenges are only going to increase as we go forward here. There are going to be many, many things that we witness that we're going to be emotionally drawn to, and you have to sort out with prayer and your relationship with God what that looks like in your life. But we've got a number of critical problems that because we have been so passive, they have been allowed to grow into literal monsters. The January 6th issues is is a snapshot at a deep and visceral corruption within our legal system that anybody that has been through it can tell you how deeply corrupted it is. Simple example is this. In the legal system, 82% of federal cases are solved through plea bargain. Let me tell you how plea bargains work. They make an offer to you and it's a, (laughs) it works like this. Um, You will get, for example, two years in jail and five years of probation Or you can go to trial, and if you don't get all your charges dismissed, you're looking at 20 years in jail. That that is literally a framework for a plea bargain. The one they gave me was you will accept taking 
you will admit to committing a felony, which I did not do. Or if you cannot get all of your charges completely dismissed, you will do a minimum of one year in jail. Never had a blemish on my, my life. Held a top secret clearance. That was my plea bargain placed before me. See, our system is deeply corrupted, but people have never had the time or taken the time to dig in and then get in passion to try to confront it and, and change it. So when you, because of that, we grow up in a world, and I'm just going to stay on the criminality part of this first, which is the January 6th folks. They get tagged, and in society we say, we like we read an article or we find out that someone is a felon, and immediately we're like, oh, they must have done something wrong. And they become outcasts. The January 6th folks are now outcasts to the majority of the population. People are not engaged. When we deal with, like I told you in the men's camp I was with last week, which was just incredible, 50% of those men have done hard time. And most of them did hard time based on a plea bargain, not even a jury trial, which is not even constitutional. And yet, if they, didn't, if they had not been given a chance by Glad Tidings Church, I would argue that most of them would be back in prison because they could not find a way to get started in society. Because as a collective whole, and to be blunt, Christians are the worst at this, judgment reigns. Because people are like, I'll pray for you, but ugh, you're a felon. We have to rise above this and start realizing how the system is really working. And we have to be in passion, however God leads us, to start fighting for change. That means each person has to be a leader. Each person has to walk in that role and walk in that place of discipleship. You know, when I took my trip down to Yuba City last week, I had a really amazing part of that trip, which I may have shared some of it, but I literally had just about 80 miles of just having a presence and conversation with Jesus. And it, it was incredible. And one of the things that was shown is that God has spread, spread his remnant out across the world. And that the, the many that are out here saying, well, I feel alone or I don't know how to mobilize or you know, I need to build, a, build people around me of my common group, God has put everybody out here so that we will become that light in each community. They will have the strength in him and have the Holy Spirit flowing through us. So in each community, we become strong. We draw people in. We transform. That doesn't say we as in a collective group that has to come together to work together to affect change. We build that group. And if you look at how this has happened, that's very much how it is right now. It's a profound place where we have so many people across the world in almost every community. And be honest, if we were to map out most of Bard's nation, we would be amazed at how many communities we touch across this nation, in Canada, and across the world. People that are sprinkled around. God has everybody where they need them so that they can affect change. And as we start to work with one another, build our communities, we're doing God's bidding. 
we look back to tonight's show, one of the pieces there that's so important is that if you're impassioned to do something, make that change. If we're going to talk about prayer groups, then make the change in prayer. Don't wait for somebody. Be affirmative and move forward. If you want to build a prayer group for the January 6th group, it only takes you. One can make the change. Two or more are gathered. Solidifies that prayer. If you feel that the prisoners are unjustly held and you want to raid the gates, then organize the group to do it. And for me just saying that, that's seditious. I don't care because they're being illegally held. So my point is that in the old way of our country, that sort of courage and that sort of commitment and conviction, which was rooted in the trust in God, rooted in prayer and rooted in the conviction of righteousness was there. That fire was there. There was no hesitation. You know, one of the things that broke the British back in the, in the war that led to the treaty that John Jay signed, which basically pillaged our nation, he gave, us, he gave back to the British what we had won, but that's another story. But it's the most amazing part is it was the boycotts of British goods. And it started with about three or four women that came together and said, we are not going to drink British tea anymore and we're going to start making local herbal teas. And that was against the edict of the king. And so they started doing this and that led to them building out showing their strength as the communities begin to rise up and literally dox people that were not complying with the local community to boycott British goods. Many people were admonished. Businesses were ruined. They decided not to, to abide by the community way. And it just started with one woman. They went to two women, three women, and that's where that fire started. This is what I'm talking about. It only takes one or two to completely change. What did that lead to? That resulted in the British losing 50% of its import revenue. And they could not afford the war. The most important part of the fight in, in the Revolutionary War was the economic war that has been little spoken about and goes unspoken about to most people. And it was started by a handful of women, two, three women, that started a small boycott on tea that led to the colonies boycotting British goods and the British literally losing so much revenue that they weren't able to afford to keep their own troops here and afford to keep the Hessians, which were just ruthless mercenaries on our soil. And as that financial strain was happening, then they were getting waylaid on the battlefield, which was equally good. We have to be leaning in in this period of time. And it's a powerful place for us to be. It's an empowering place for us to be. And it centers truly on, really for me, it centers truly on this place of us taking and fixing ourselves in that battle position to fight in this, in this spiritual war. You know, I've read Romans 1, to 32, and I'm going to read a little bit of it here, but it's important to frame this, to me, frames a lot of what God is doing right now. And just Romans 1, 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all 
unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters, God, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know they are, and although they know the disobedience of God or the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they are they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. That type of enemy is ruthless. Because as God has basically disavowed them and let them be to their lustful ways and their lustful hearts, they've embraced that. And this is what we're witnessing as an enemy. And it's not going to change by force other than to eliminate them. And there is a point that that may come, but what changes things is our power and and conviction through Christ. We're underrating that power. And so I go back to kind of what David Summerall was getting at, and I think people were missing some of that message of the power of transformation through actions in the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a lot of action going on here, and we just need to build it up more. But this is action that should be happening everywhere. We Again, the part of the problem in America is people are continuing to turn to President Trump or turn to others to fix the problem. The only place we need to turn to fix this nation is to put our eyes on Jesus and through that to Father God and to repent. That's very simple. And as we do this, that fundamental beginning cleanses and purifies our hearts so that we then can receive a greater blessing, a greater wisdom from Father God to know what we need to do. It, in very fundamental and probably almost improper terms to put this, it clears the lines so that we can hear God and receive God better. See, and this is what, when we go back into Old Testament and we really understand, we pay attention to what's going on. There was such a purity of belief and understanding in what God was placing upon them. And I, I've mentioned this before, but it's important examples. Like Gideon, when he has 20, 30,000 reduced ultimately to 300. And then they're told that they're going to fight an army with horns and pots of light. That doesn't just happen. That happens because they have such a commitment and belief and trust in God, and they're listening that they agree and they commit fully to the Holy Spirit and they let the Holy Spirit work through them. They're not defeating an army. They're standing and holding that line as God works through them, and they're obedient to what God tells them to do. You know, if you want to talk about January 6th, you want to organize something for January 6th? Get 300 horns and get 300 pots of light. Circle that doggone prison and blow the horns and break the pots of light like we did at Bardsfest. But do it truly with the belief and trust in God and the Holy Spirit. Or do the Jericho thing. Walk around the place for seven times in seven days and seven times on the seventh day, blowing the horns and see what happens. I don't know how God leads it. But there is so much that can be done when we start empowering the Holy Spirit. And that gets to the point of doing and not just pointing. 
you know, as I look at where David Summerall is, he's trying to move an awakening just to get people to put their eyes on the problem and at the same time put their eyes to God. That's very clear. I've had a lot of conversations with David. And we're at this point where people are feeling like we have to have grit action. We better start like seeing the seeing the guns on the ground. And what I don't what I don't hear is that commitment to intense and I'm going to use the term violent action driven by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't appreciate what I just said, think about Jericho. That is intense and violent action to the point that the walls fell and every man, woman, child, and donkey was slain inside. Yeah, it's always that uncomfortable piece we don't want to talk about because it's like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, they must all be evil. I don't care what they were. Every one of them was slayed with a sword. And if you don't think that's viscerally intense and violent, I don't know what is. That's like one of those movies that you're going to be like, uh, son, you better not watch this. This is going to get pretty graphic. Uh-huh. And it was real. Or you just take Goliath. And again, you know, David drops him with a single stone. And he's trusting and pulling all his trust in the might of, of God as he stands before Goliath, reminding him that he is now standing there and that he didn't say he would. He said God will bring justice. And then cuts off his head. That's kind of a big deal, by the way. The intensity of action has to be, it's what I call violence on target. And we have to be able to get there in the intensity of our focus with the Holy Spirit. This is an enemy. There is nowhere in Scripture it says, make peace with the devil. And there's nowhere in Scripture where it says, comply and bow to evil. We have dominion, not them. And right now, dominion is being given to them because this evil is mocking us and laughing at us because we keep running around wringing our hands and wondering who's going to fix it for us. Every one of us has the power to stand up to evil and be a David. The question is, do we have the belief that we can? And do we trust in the Holy Spirit to do just that? That's the big questions. And when we get to that place, then we're moving. In a war, the first thing that always has to happen is information. You have to saturate the target and make aware. Joshua stood before his army to tell them where they were going. He has to get agreement with his people before they can cross the River Jordan, and they do. But even then, as they cross the River Jordan, they go back to get the memorial stone. And that is so significant because it's an anchor point for him to bring his men to, to remind them, to give them that point where they do not forget the power of the Holy Spirit that is there. That's part of the information campaign. Because this is a bold move. They're going to go walk around Jericho and they're going to pray and sing him and they're going to have the ark lead. There has to be an unbelievable unity of faith in that moment. Trusting that God will deliver. They have no idea other than they are told by to walk that seven days and seven times on the seventh day. 
And it is their faith. It is their dedication to that point in their commitment and trust in God that ultimately leads to the walls being crushed. And then they are launched with the blessing of the Lord to do the deed that must be done. But all that began with an information campaign with themselves and then this information saturation by virtue of him that ultimately weakens and collapses the walls. Information is always first in a warfare. And what information does is it inspires. So when you look at the laydown of a military, they have an information operations team. That information operations team begins initially by softening the targets, trying to demoralize the enemy and empower the people. Because once a force moves in, they need that change in heart to be able to succeed. That's where, like last hour, that's what David Summerall's doing. He's saturating to get people aware. January 6th, we're two years into January 6th. There has not been a rising up of Americans and I'm, I've told you, I've been hesitant, lacking the information. I'll carry the story and we'll talk the story much more. But even at that, it's unbelievable. It took two years for me to get to the point to find someone who could tell us the story. That's sad because there should be at this point the people that have heard David, they should be out there echoing that message. It should have been everywhere within two or three months at the minimum. And with that, as Americans, we should have risen up and, and already been tearing down the walls. So frustrations when you hear this, sure, I understand. But being frustrated at him or his message or the fact there's no action, that's on you, not on him, because he's doing stuff and you're not. It's like I've had people say like, well, you need to do this, this, this. And I'm like, okay, well, explain to me how that's supposed to work. Because I know my schedule each day. And I know all the things that I'm working on, including a book, a new movie, all the skills and, and that I'm trying to build, everything from my prep skills, ham radio, even a pilot's license, all these things I'm doing, building out a new training facility for youth, doing this, and people say, you need to do more. And I look at them, I say, well, why don't you do it? And, I, and I'll get some comment back like, well, because you have the platform. That's the wrong answer. Because each one of us should be so burdened that the only way you get through the day is to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me revitalize myself so I can stand back up and go again. That means sleep at like three hours a day because that's the type of war we're in right now. It is a remnant. A remnant means something. It's like a special operations team. You are, all of us, part of this very special group that is walking with Jesus to save the world. And there's a whole bunch of people out here that haven't figured that out yet. And that's part of us getting out and discipling to them. That's part of us using every bit of tools that the Holy Spirit provides for us to fight this war to the maximum point. And that means wherever God leads you. I've told you the story about hands-on healing. That's a big step for me. God wants me to do it. I'm all in, 110%. And this is constantly where we have to continue to fight. If God calls on me to do deliverance work, I will do deliverance work. It That's how I walk. And if that means I have to sleep less and do more, I'll figure it out because I'll just turn to Jesus and say, heal me and raise me. Let's go. 
But this mountain we're climbing is tall. It's going to take every bit of us doing every one of us pulling and every one of us climbing. And sometimes it means just one of us alone standing and doing the thing that God calls us to do, like David before Goliath. And if that's on your heart, it's fearlessness standing there knowing that God has you there for a reason. In this particular war, the Old Testament is very physical on the ground. And so many of the stories of battle are actual tangible battle, flesh to flesh. In this fight, so much of our battle is spiritual, and we don't acknowledge that enough. Consider this. When we're praying for somebody and we're working to awaken somebody, we, how many times is it said, I get so frustrated because they don't listen to me? How about if we relens that as an example and consider that person like the walls that their their lack of of listening are like the walls of Jericho. If we're praying for them and we're praying with God and and asking for that blessing to hit them, we don't know how many times we have to go around them. Maybe it's 7, maybe it's 20, I don't know, maybe it's 100. But one thing I can get, guarantee you is very much just like in the Jericho, the metaphor of that is when They finally get a crack in their hardened heart. Everything that's evil within them, every lie that sits within them will be slain by truth. And it will happen so fast that they'll literally be on their knees looking for guidance of where to go and how to live. That's where we come in again to guide them to Jesus. We have not maximized our prayers. We have not raised up a nation in prayers. We have not brought our nation to its knees to repent before Father God. We haven't even managed to get a president yet to repent, and that's still on our prayers, and we'll keep working on it. But that's another topic. That's for him to do. We can move this nation ourselves through prayers of mercy and prayers of repentance and our constant and diligence of moving out here and and awakening people to the truth and the power that that brings when we bring them to Christ. That's discipleship in the most powerful way. And it's where we have to walk. So in these moments when we hear these stories that excite us or frustrate us because nothing's getting done, take it to prayer. Ask God where he wants you in that fight. Seek the guidance that he can give and obey. Because as we do those things, we each become the mighty men of Scripture. We become the mighty men of faith. And we start to see the rise of the dread champions of righteousness come out of that. And in that mightiness of walking in that place of the Holy Spirit and truly seeing what Christ did in the garden. I know people don't always agree with my interpretation on this, and this is a case where just listen. Because as Peter cuts the ear off, Peter was never told not to carry a sword. As I've said so many times, if you've used a sword, you'll understand that that was not an accidental cut. And he's being watched by people that, know how to use swords, and he has demonstrated a skill in that moment, but Christ heals the ear. Why? 
Because Jesus shows him something greater. That though Peter can handle a sword and cut off an ear and stay in attack, Christ goes further and to say, unspoken, that he's showing him how the mastery of this works by healing the ear and reminding him of the true power of the Holy Spirit and the true power of the sword of the Spirit. That's a powerful lesson in that moment. And we should all be seeking that power. We should all be seeking that blessing because it's been given to us. For he shall do greater works than he. So this is not a time to be throwing ideas out and expecting other people to do them. This is a time to do them. Take them to prayer, listen to where Father God wants you, and execute. Because each one of us is that disciple in this battle. And each one of us is a powerful element of change. And as we're all working within one body, we know that it's being steered to work in the mastery that only God can do. And when we do that, there's no limit. If you can imagine 72, 74 million people that are now considered domestic terrorists under MAGA, if 74 million people were spending the time that they spent on rallies and wondering what Trump's going to do next, instead focusing their heart and their prayers on Jesus, and through that, listening to where they each one needs us and each one confessing our hearts to the things that are troubling us, like if it's January 6th or it's the food issue or if it's the children in schools, God is going to open up those doors and lead each one to the place he needs us to be. 74 million people that way. I'm telling you right now, we would not be talking about the rise of evil. We would be talking about the miracles of the Holy Spirit that has restored our country back to us with God on the throne. And it would be literally that fast. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight humbled and blessed for what has been provided to us, what has been given to us, and the opportunities that stand before us. Hear our prayers, Father, that for those times that we have not put ourselves forward completely and pushed in as hard as we can, forgive us, because this is not a time to tarry or delay. For those times when we've tried to look for others to lead us, forgive us, because you are the one that leads us and guides us. We simply need to trust. So, Father, tonight we pray before you. We ask for repentance for those moments when we've fallen, when we haven't trusted, when we haven't fully embraced everything you've put before us and the opportunities there. And we also pray for the strength, that encouragement, that reminder, that cleansing of our hearts to get us to stand back up, to be bold, to listen, to hear you clearly, the wisdoms that only can come from you, to guide us where you need us to be in those next steps. In whatever is heavy on our heart, that passionate moment, whether it's children, whether it's J6, whether it's building, uh, building our community in, the, in a power circle of faith, whatever those things are that are weighing on us, Father, hear our hearts. Let us be honest to you in our hearts and in so doing. Guide us with the wisdom of how to move next so that we can begin that forward action. In all of this, always to serve you, to love you in a deeper and more fantastic way. 
Thank you, Father, for all you provide. Thank you. We are so deeply humbled by all that's been given and sacrificed. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Reach in. Dig hard. Pray. Ask Father for guidance. Seek that walk with Christ that's so intimate and personal. It's like your best friend there all the time. Sometimes you hear it clearly. Sometimes you're, you, you may not. But it's, he's always there as is God. But the most powerful thing is that we're trusting in those places and we're listening carefully and we're looking. And with eyes to see and ears to hear, we're truly seeing those opportunities open with doors that only God can open. And they happen. And transformation's huge. And the opportunities are massive. And change can happen so quickly. 300 defeated a massive army. We have, a far, we have far greater numbers than 300 just in Bard's nation. And for that, I know that if we are committed to listening to as God wants us to be, and we're truly in that walk, putting ourself aside, our worries, all this other garbage and nonsense that goes on in our life, all this noise that means nothing when it comes to our worship and walking with Father God. Everything's on the line right now. Everything. And he's reaching and calling. And if we aren't obeying 100%, we're failing. For some, that may be limited only to prayer. That's great, then go. For others, it's a great deal more. But whatever that capacity is, we have to give 100% to that. Our worries, our whatever it is, are all going to be resolved as we dig deeper into him and trust in him. But it's all on the line right now. And we are that strength right now that can move the mountains, that can plead for mercy on this nation, that can accept the repentance for this nation. And as we become stronger in those moments, as we rise up humbly before Father God, serving him deeper than we ever have imagined, seeking to serve him more and letting us be pulled into those opportunities to do that, this enemy has no chance. And miracles happen. But we have to take that place where it's not ever about us. It's only about serving him. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is so with us. He is so powerfully with us. And he will never forsake us. And working through us, with us, God wins. We all win. And we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war, so we walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. We occupy we expand and we subdue the enemy. And we keep that mission forward all the time. Have a very blessed night. I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something
get back in my body 